Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining in again for uh, a quick talk on uh, growth in B2B, in marketing, uh, in SaaS, something related to that, at least. Today, I'm joined by Espen, who's a, a fellow Dane and uh, one of those who can say he probably made it in the US, at least uh, well enough for, for at least trying, own at least trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Espen, just to, to warm up uh, slowly, uh, I've sort of put it on you to kind of present yourself, maybe a little bit about your own yep. uh, journey this far in in business and maybe in life as as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I was born in Aalborg. No, <laughs> let's. Uh, Were you born in Aalborg uh, as well? Yeah, actually, so I always lived in, in the in Copenhagen area, but my parents, they were living in Tanzania in Africa, and then they went back to uh, Jutland, where their parents are from, and then they gave birth to me, and then they went straight back to Tanzania. So, uh, yeah, I <laughs> cool. lived there for okay. the first three years of my life. So, yeah, that was fun. Crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, can't remember anything about that. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, uh, fast forward to uh, when I was like around in my late 20s, I uh, had been a consultant at a the big consultancy Accenture uh, and kind of worked for, you know, the big enterprises, uh, kind of boring, uh, big projects, but uh, <laughs> lo lots of learning experiences uh, for sure. And uh, I really wanted to uh, start a company of my own and build something uh, myself. Uh, and luckily, I had a good colleague in Accenture, uh, Jacob, who uh, convinced me to join him to build this company called Cobalt. And uh, we actually went to Buenos Aires in Argentina for, <laughs> what, three months to build an MVP. And then uh, it just took off and we built a, a successful company today. Cobalt is, what, 200, 200 plus employee um, and, and uh, getting close to a series C, I guess. Um, so very successful wow. uh, cybersecurity company. So that was uh, a lot of fun. I was uh, kind of, uh, did, did any of you have like tech skills or was more, did you have to hire tech people outside? or? So we were, uh, besides from me and Jacob, it was his brother and then uh, his brother's friend from high school and uh, none of us i mean we all worked in it or had been some somewhat in it but none of us were developers uh, so jacob and his brother they actually taught themselves how to code and that's how oh, we nice. made the first mvp and then slowly we progressed from there by hiring some better developers uh, <laughs> but the first the first platform was uh, was built uh, by um, jacob and his brother and that was enough to get us started and really get it off the ground um so yeah so that was a lot of fun how did you get your the first customers to to cobalt then back then so this was in 2013 uh so it was it was very different from today but uh, we were i would say uh, so today we're going to talk about product-led growth i think most yeah. startups really start out in a very product-led growth fashion right they focus a lot on the product and we did as well so we really were totally 100% focused on building the best product possible. And so initially, like build a product MVP and get somebody to use it. And initially, because this was very much what Cobalt is, is this kind of security testing platform that connects uh, penetration testers with businesses. 
So first of all, we needed to get supply. So while we were building the product, uh, we went out and kind of sourced what you will call security researchers um, mm. or penetration testers to basically join our platform. And that was pretty easy. A lot of them were looking for something like this where they could earn money. So they went out and we quickly got hundreds of security testers on the platform. But then the hard part was, of course, to get some customers to actually try it out. Uh, and in the beginning, yeah. we just reached out in our network and got somebody on board. And then we kind of grew from there. But in the beginning, it was very, we had self-sign-up. Uh, people were, you know joining via signing up to our platform as we, we grew. But then over time, we realized we were up against consultancies who had a more high-touch approach. And we yeah. were defining a whole new market. Nobody has yeah. done this before. It was a brand new market. And that's also one of the challenges that some businesses will meet and product-led growth is really you're defining a new market. So you have to educate mm -hmm. Customers in those type of worlds, it's a bit harder to do product-led growth. And that's what we realized. And then we started doing more demo calls and selling in a kind of more sales-led fashion. Yeah. Actually, yeah. something I want to return to later on, because we're, we're talking a bit about it at Dream Data ourselves as well, is that how can you sell to enterprises through a product-led model where like there's typically all these you know terms and data privacy agreements, et cetera, you need to, uh, to sign before moving into yeah. a sales conversation. So we went on that journey and we were very successful with the sales-led motion, right? Um, yeah. And over time, the market matured. Everybody started knowing about Cobol and we also got competitors. So yeah. a market was defined. And when you have that market defined, that's where product growth becomes valuable again. Uh, mm. So we started actually a transition towards moving back towards those early day uh, roots of being more product-led again. So in Cobalt, uh, we went on that journey and that was one of the last initiatives I was part of before <laughs> I left uh, operationally in, in 2021 uh, yeah. to, to start Userflow. When you think back on it, what was the kind of like the, the most important kind of what parts of making that company successful? Were there any like particular silver bullets or uh, hacks or was it just pure hard work? It's a lot of grind. I mean, we, yeah. none of the four <laughs> of us came from the security industry. Uh, so we didn't know anybody. Uh, I think that was a blessing in disguise because we didn't have any bias towards what was possible and what was not possible. So we, we kind of looked at it with open eyes and, and said, of course you can source freelance pen testers from all over the world and have them test your web apps, right? Why not? And it was really about, you know, uh, just taking it one step at a time and really growing from there. I think another thing we did exceptionally well was to focus a lot. Uh, we 100% focused on uh, selling to software as a service businesses. So yeah. we didn't like go beyond our core market focus and we were able to grow in that market and really become the the pen test provider for software as a service businesses, right? Whereas uh, yeah. we definitely saw like more old school industries reaching out, uh, but it was just a whole other world, a whole other procurement yeah. process, a whole other need. Whereas with the software as a service world, it was a clearly defined market, a clearly defined need. Typically you do pen testing to get compliance or similar, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the buyer persona was typically the same, like a director of security or similar. So, okay, so yeah. it was a very kind of, clear defined market. I think that's one thing that really made us successful is, is that piece, uh, a core market focus. Uh, it's so, it's yeah. a, such an, uh, 
so you your, you guys was also you were f you were funded by investors as well and like investors always uh, at least the ones we've we've met are like they want like a huge target addressable market so you ended yeah. up saying that it's almost any company in the world that you can sell this product to but as like yeah. a day-to-day -day operator you need a very narrow focus on a very narrow group because yeah. you know your customer success cases should be similar to the next person you're going to sell to and not completely off and, and all those things. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think, yeah. I mean, one thing, actually, a funny story about Kobol was we initially we were doing something called bug bounty programs and uh, we had two big competitors, actually three, and they all raised tons of money, right? And we were actually late to the game and didn't raise that much money to begin with. But it actually allowed us to uh, iterate on our model a lot easier. So we didn't have those big expectations. Okay, this bug bounty model needs to succeed. We were more flexible to actually change our business model into being focused on penetration testing instead. And that turned out to be a great decision. <laughs> so we had a bit more flexibility because we didn't go out and raise a, a ton of money on, on something that was more of a vision than a true product market fit reality. Nice. Just before we switch directly into the product-led uh, thing and what you're doing today, which is also product-led, uh, so how was the kind of, what were, were, was your process out of COBOL? Because it's still a, a going business now. And what made you kind of decide yeah. that let's start all over one more time? Yeah, no, it, it was a lot of fun building COBOL uh, and and we grew the, the team uh, quite a lot. Uh, and, and when I left, they were around 100 plus people, something like that. Uh, so they added like 100 more since then. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. So I think it was just time for me to move on. I'm, I'm very much an entrepreneur by heart and kind of just want to be in that early stage of a business. And Kobol was now like a grown-up business uh, with uh, vice presidents, you know, and managers <laughs> and, and all that stuff. That's great. That That's needed to build an organization at that scale. Uh, but for me, I just wanted to be closer to the product and, and more uh, going back and starting something new. And then it really intrigued me, this whole uh, product-led growth world and onboarding world that my friend Sebastian was doing. But I mean, leaving Cobalt was not an easy decision, but at that point in time, Cobalt was at a stage where I was no longer a need to have. I was more like yeah. a nice to have, right? And <laughs> so it was actually an, an, an easy transition. Yeah. How long back is, is it that you left now and started Userflow? So beginning of 2021, I left uh, Cobol. And Userflow, you can say I didn't start Userflow because Userflow was already started by Sebastian. Yeah. Uh, but I joined him on, on the journey uh, at that point. Super nice. But it's been there. So it's, we named, <laughs> we found the name of the this conversation to be something around how to do product-led sales as a B2B company. But, but yeah. to get us started, uh, what, what, what does it mean for you to be like a product-led business overall? Yeah, I like to like define it in two ways. One way is it's a cultural mindset. Uh, it's basically an, uh, a culture in an organization where you, everybody thinks product first about everything they do. So that goes from marketing, sales, customer success, Whatever area you have in the business, you always think, how could the product solve this instead of like, how are we going to hire a bunch of people to solve this problem? Mm -hmm. You always start with the product and then you move from there. So, so that's that's really how I, uh, I like to look at it. The other way to yeah. look at it that I also see a lot of others, how they define it is more compared to sales-led, right? Where sales-led is the traditional model of 
doing a demo request, getting a demo, mm-hmm. conversations back and forth, you know, and, and then you get to try the product. Whereas a product led is you start with the product and then you, you move from there basically. So, so that's, yeah. that's the. Is, can you the, give the, the, some the concrete thing. examples of it? Or is there some like day to day examples where yeah. like would see a sales led would choose one thing, but a product led would, <laughs> would choose another way? Yeah, no, I think let's take an uh, example that's close to my heart, of course, onboarding, right? Uh, a sales-led company, what they would do to onboard somebody is to set up uh, a customer success call as the very first thing. That would be uh, a way to onboard the customer to understand the product and kind of get familiar with it. And maybe they will even set up more than one meeting, mm-hmm. whereas in a product-led company, you would try to see how can we allow the user to self-serve on board themselves right like how can they just log into the product and then figure things out as much as possible and then you more maybe reactively can support them on whatever missing pieces there might be right Um, yeah but instead of starting with that meeting you start with the product and have them try the product before uh, before you you set up the meeting intuitively it does also sound more cost efficient than rather you have to throw bodies at every customer the product can help yeah. the technology itself can help people. Yeah, and you, you'll be surprised. I mean, I've been in so many situations where it's like I'm forced into these custom success meetings and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't need that. Your product is great. Don't force me to this uh, call, right? Uh, I, I understand yeah. your product. So, so, and you even have, some of them even have like in-app onboarding, but then still force people to do like onboarding via call. So I think the new world is just that there's a lot of people like myself that don't want that high touch uh, model yeah. and much more want to explore on their own. As a reference to that, I can say that uh, when we introduced uh, our free tier and our free trial uh, tier uh, one and a half year ago now, for every demo call we had booked, we had two people signing up for free instead. So it's like it's something like one out of three won to start with a demo call, a two out of three actually just want to see the product tested out before you... You have to talk yeah. to anybody. No, uh, and I think it's it's going to change even more with Gen Z and, and the next generations. They are so yeah. used to being digital first that it's just like yeah. they expect that, right? Uh, it's a generation change, really, uh, that we're seeing in the market. To go along with that, what would you say, like, if you were to, like, pitch the advantages of, like, running a product-led organization and a product-led sales uh, motion? Uh, of course, it relates a lot to the, you wouldn't be able to do it without this market change that you're seeing, right? That one, software as a service has matured. So people are familiar with software as a service model. They're not so scared of it anymore. But also that the buyers have matured to be a, a second thing. Yeah. They have a, a new way they want to experience software. So I think that's the number one thing is really you are building for the the current market, right? That's probably the most important. But the other benefits that comes with that is, as you mentioned yourself, lower CAC, lower service cost, uh, sales and customer success becomes more of a, again, not a need to have, but more a nice to have. And they can definitely add, uh, because I'm not uh, saying that you should not have a sales team or customer success team necessarily in a product-led world, but they're not a need to have. They become the thing that can help maybe drive the account to become a bit larger than it would and, and maybe convert the accounts that are in bitter and not out. But it doesn't, yeah. it's not a need to have to convert and expand the customer. 
Yeah, what we experienced as well is that there's a couple of very experienced players in our industry, which we we had trouble beating when like we were in a competition, when these like our vendor or, like, or our customers were looking at us. And once we introduced this free trial, people could start to see that our product kind of works before they had to sign a contract, which make mm-hmm. made a big difference because like if you're completely in this like used car salesmanship, that you're gonna trust me or trust me. Then it's hard as yeah. a small one with a few G2 reviews, few success cases, no SOC 2 compliance, et cetera, to beat that big giant up there because they do yeah. have all the social proof you need to, to convince people. Yeah, I think as a new startup starting out, I, uh, I think maybe, no, I would say even from day one, uh, have a free trial. I think you're missing out on a lot of learnings by hiding your product. And I've seen people end up in a trap where they actually never then move away from the kind of request invite stage uh, kind of world. And one problem with that is I see a lot of those businesses sometimes having issues with monetizing because it's not like an open market. It's like this kind of you are our friends trying our product. uh, So we probably shouldn't charge them anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you really open up your product, you get people you don't have any personal connection to and then yeah. that way it becomes more a business relationship which is always better when you want to monetize something right you don't want it to be your friends that you have to like really push into paying something or, mm. or something like that yeah let's maybe move into a little bit uh, about how to then do it do you need to have like a fully automated product where like every single button you push there's a natural next thing to do or can you start scrappy uh, or like how do you see that yeah, you can always start scrapping. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> the number one thing in product is always you should have a great product that solves a real problem, right? And I think yeah. that's the number one thing. The UX of your product is super important and the problem it solves is super important. So really when you build your first, let's call it MVP or whatever, you should really fo- yeah. focus on that core problem. What is it you're solving? What is it you're doing better? And make your UX and UI super simple and targeted towards... Yeah that main thing right so start with a simple product that solves that use case and then over time you add features you expand your product and then you can say the need for more sophisticated onboarding becomes relevant because suddenly your product is maybe not so easy to understand from the get-go and then you want to maybe guide users a bit more towards what is the problem you can solve here right and that's where something like in-app onboarding like you can do with user flow becomes super relevant yeah just our own story starting out with the free product was really that like we we just implemented a landing page or like on our pricing page we introduced the free tier and when you hit hit that button you would open send the mail and this mail would end at Lars's inbox our ceo and he would manually go in and create an account and then he would send a, a, a manual mail more and then write to the user now you can click here and then you have an account and then they yeah. just landed in like the full product. But we just wanted the first proof is, do people prefer to buy this way or this way? And then you can start automating processes around it afterwards. Agreed. Especially when you're a sales-led business moving to product-led experiments like that are super nice. But you could have avoided all that by starting out <laughs> as a product-led business. Then you would have built your product in that world where a trial was not something that was hard to do, right? Um, yeah. And in Cobalt, we were in the same situation. We had built a product 
where a trial was something that was hard to do. And therefore, we also need to do all these like experiments. So yes, I, I would say as a sales-led business moving to product-led, yes, you can do all those like small iterations to learn. But as a new business starting out, just start out with a free trial yeah. uh, or something <laughs> like self-sign up. Uh, then yeah. you don't need to do all these changes later. Yeah, we just got a question in here. Is We'll just throw it up here on the screen. How would you deal with uh, data integrations APIs in the first phase of a product slash startup in a product-led zero-touch onboarding? I assume you have analytics products. They're a classic example of this where big requirement for actually using the product is you need to integrate it with some data uh, and you need to add some kind of initial data uh, to your product. And I've seen to really see the value, right, and discover that aha moment. And I've seen it be done in a couple of different ways. I think one way some has tried to do it is by having like a dummy data platform. So you have like dummy data, which customers can play with to see, okay, how will it look like? That's definitely one way. Uh, another way is to think about what could be a simple integration we could do that would uh, allow them to actually send some of their own data, but it's not something that requires a lot of development work or anything like that. It's plug and play. An example could be, let's take some, some kind of uh, customer uh, relations tool, right? Let's say you already run an intercom and then mm. you add like a plug and play button, import all my contacts from intercom, and then you might show some initial data based on that data you have in Intercom, but it's all like a click of a button. It's not like something your developers need to do anything uh, to connect. So, so yeah, yes. for instance, like a CSV kind of data upload could also be another way to do it. That's a great idea. Something that's easy to do for a non-developer. I think that's super important, especially if you're not selling. If you're selling to developers, then it's completely different. But if you're not selling to developers, it needs to be something <laughs> a non-developer can do. Nice. Okay. What else do we got of questions? I'll just look here. Does the way you do marketing change if you're a product-led versus uh, like a sales-led company? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, in general, it's a lot of the same, right? It's positioning. What's your positioning uh, is super important. But what changes a bit, I think, is that you use your product a lot more in your marketing. For instance, at Userflow, we often do uh, like feature Fridays. We do um, use case scenarios. We talk a lot more about how you can use the product and it's actually showing the product in on your public facing website not just mm. writing some fluffy marketing language <laughs> uh, that this is the best onboarding in the world we could write right and then not show the product but what does that actually mean right no we actually yeah. show the product and what are the problems you can solve with it so the product becomes a much part much bigger part of your uh, public-facing website, your marketing content, uh, and so on. But in the end, it's all, as any marketing around, your positioning and how are you marketing that part to the world, right? And that means that's maybe a good transition to the next question we, we agreed, agreed upon, which is uh, what are some of the great product-led tools out there? Because I think that's actually a, yeah. it's a good way to get started, is to look at those who were successful and see, is there some elements here that we can we can we can steal or borrow or whatever you wanna wanna call it? So there are lots of great businesses out there. So we can look at the tools from two angles, right? Like who are, who's doing product led well and who can we learn from? I recommend there's a website called UserOnboard.com where you can see like basically um, 
examples of great user onboarding or bad user onboarding. Oh. But what I've done a lot, and especially that when we were doing the transition at, at Cobalt, was go out on all these like very popular SaaS websites and just do sign up for their service and mm. try to go through their uh, whole process, right? And you learn a lot from doing that, like tools like Twilio, uh, Webflow. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Slack. You know all these tools. How how do they actually uh, go about doing sign up and doing you know all these different things, and then you learn from that, right? The other thing you should always do is sign up for your own product because then you can see how <laughs> what are we doing right and what are we not doing right, right? And you yeah. you'll be amazed how many people doesn't try to sign up for their own product and try it out, right? So in, so, in, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of inspiration to be found in, in different Stripe is not a great product to look at, right? Amazing UX, everything they do is just amazing. Okay, I was just thinking with user flow. So what what is this product then? Is it a, is it like is it recording sessions or is it a building experience? So what what are you trying to solve at least firstly? Yeah, so no with I mean if you mean what user flow as a tool is trying to solve or what do you mean? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, so what, we, what, what are you trying? <laughs> yeah, we so we use flow as a no-code onboarding builder, right? So you can build basically tooltips, product tours. Even though I don't like that word because it it shouldn't really be a tour. It should be like more jobs to be done driven. So you can basically do in-app content, right? Like in-app guides, in-app checklists. Uh, have a self-help widget, so like a resource center where you can always go and find help if you need to. And a, and a typical setup that somebody will build with Userflow is an initial guide that kind of guides the user to the initial moment and does that guide into additional uh, moments and from the mind center. That, did you lose me? I can still hear you, no. but uh, you're a little bit grainy uh, to see it. Look at. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, no, so um, but but basically um, a resource center for like ongoing support, right, uh, or ongoing yeah. self help. So you can build a lot of these things with Userflow and, and, and you can do it as a non-developer. So Userflow is one of those great tools for building product-led onboarding. But Userflow is just one tool in a full tool set, right? And other tools uh, that we at least use are tools like LogRocket for session recording. A great tool. Highly mm. recommend that. LogRocket. I didn't know that one. Yeah. It's similar to like Full Story and these kind of tools where you can yeah. uh, see how people are actually using your product. So it's not yeah. like analytics, but I also think it's much more tangible because you can actually see the session where analytics sometimes becomes a bit more harder to understand. But in the long run, you need analytics to have the more yeah. bigger scale picture. And then you, of course, have analytics tools, you know, like Dream Data, you know, like Amplitude, these kind of products, right? But one thing and one thing I'm very passionate about is <laughs> one tool I see missing. Uh, and I've, I've seen some areas starting of it. There's this industry of product-led revenue, which basically helps people identify product-qualified leads and then do actions based on that. Yeah. Uh, that whole market is super interesting. In the beginning, they were called product-led CRMs, which everybody, yeah. I think even themselves, agreed yeah. that that was not really the case. They were more like an add-on to a CRM. But yeah. one thing I'm very passionate about is like, I want to see a CRM for software as a service. We're lagging that big time. Like uh, today we use like these Salesforce and HubSpot, but they were built for another age. They were not built for yeah, yeah, yeah. the software as a service world, including PLG, but also just in general subscription-based models. So that's something I have a big... Hope so to now see uh, at some point. 
now we're storing this in on our, on our YouTube. So if we, we look at it five years from now, who, who are the uh, who are the companies you want to uh, like mention here, or have you seen any who are, who are trying to do CRM just for SaaS? Uh, no, I haven't seen anybody do it completely. Uh, you of no. course have all the product-led revenue tools, right? You have the yeah. uh, correlated, uh, focus, clicks, uh, all of those, right? In yeah. uh, game, but they are—they seem like they are staying in kind of their own uh, area okay. um, and not taking on the challenge. Other companies I could see getting into this game are, are the more subscription-focused companies like Chat Mogul, uh, even mm. Stripe. Like Stripe is yeah. so integrated into all SaaS processes, right? Like Stripe yeah. is huge in software as a service. I think they could start and they have all the account info, they have all the contact info. That could be really interesting. <laughs> um, but I think they're so focused on being a payment processor that they're never going to do it, right? So I think it's going to be somebody completely different taking on this challenge. And, and I don't think we've seen them yet in, in the market. Uh, okay, tell so, me when so, they are so yeah. we can try to <laughs> yeah. get, get some money in there. Yeah, it's something I, I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised it hasn't happened yet, that nobody has tried to take on uh, Salesforce and HubSpot and really focus 100% mm. on being fit for purpose. It kind of goes back yeah. to what I said about Cobalt. The reason yeah. Cobalt grew was because we said we only sell to SaaS businesses, right? And then we build a product for that purpose. And then, mm. yes, over time, we expanded to other industries. But I haven't seen any CRM go out and do that, really, right? They all seem to just be copy, slightly more modern copies of Salesforce. Yeah, um, yeah I guess and, it's a classic yeah. kind of industry or category development first. There's one sort of product that is kind of for all solving a big, pro a big need. And then there'll yeah. be eight niches underneath this that you can build for afterwards. I think there's room for one player to go out and say, we are the, soft, uh, the CRM for software as a service uh, B2B, yeah. right? And that's, uh, yeah, I haven't seen any, not even like Pipedrive or these like more newer players uh, doing something no. like that, right? And I find that quite <laughs> interesting because if you look at the rest of the SaaS market, there's tons of SaaS businesses just building solely for SaaS businesses. Wonderful. Is there anything, lastly, you feel like we should have should mention here, like re related to doing product-led sales or product-led B2B? We touched on many things here, right? I think one important topic I always want to highlight is that sales and all these functions, it's not like they go away. It's just that you uh, you look at the world in a new way where you always think product first, right? And, and that's really yeah. the most important is you can still have people in the equation, but the product should be the need to have and the people should be more like a, not a nice to have, but like a less <laughs> need to have than the product. Uh, yes, yeah, the thing we saw that I dreamed that is that the roles change of the account executives. We still have yeah. all the account executives, executives that were there before. They just yeah. do a little bit more of uh, like, like yeah. even like customer success or consultancy more than than trying to sell it as such. Yeah, you become, I think, and I could talk about another topic here. I've said, I think <laughs> we are going to see a simplification of the software as a service businesses because we always talked about you need specialization to scale. Yeah. But if, in a product-led motion, a lot of the people end up doing more what I would call support or answering questions. 
and they're more mm. like product experts. So mm. if everybody ends up doing that role, do you still then need the specialization to have sales, customer success, yeah. uh, sales engineers, or is it just one team called product experts right? or mm. something similar? Interesting. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting to see how the organization will change. In yeah, that I agree. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.